boy J-Cow. It's Daryl. And we're on our way to see the world's most dangerous man. And, uh... The Beast. The Beast. Dan Severin, Ken Shamrock, Jimmy... Jimmy's World Order? Yeah. Whatever the hell that is. Hey, this <laughs> is the Road Wild Podcast. We haven't done this in about, oh, I don't know, two years. Yeah, yeah, like two, three years. The pandemic put this whole thing on pause, so uh, we finally are getting back together, Daryl and I. We're on the road, so if the audio sounds a little off, we apologize in advance. But uh, we are here to talk a little wrestling and talk a little uh, Ken Shamrock and Dan Severin. Actually, because I messaged you about this, I wanted to do something a little different. Because normally when we're in here, we talk about modern day wrestling and stuff like that. There's a million podcasts you can do that with. Especially the Alliance guys. Thanks for the play. No problem. But, like I said, I'm a fan of podcasts where they talk about past things that have happened in the past. Things where the story has already been told from beginning to end. So now you can reflect back on it and read all the news and see how everything worked out. Not none of this. Well, let's see how it plays out or everybody predicting what's going to happen or saying what they feel like in the moment. The podcast where you know what happened and you get little tidbits that you didn't know back then. And now you see it, you know, through different set of eyes. So... I also wanted to make this a little more personal because you don't really get that elsewhere. And one story that I've never heard, but I'm very intrigued with is with you, Jay, and how you became a fan of the National Wrestling Alliance because from what I remember, you caught them during a period where they were not at their peak like they were in the 80s and in some areas of the 90s and the TNA run as far as like a national television exposure and all that you caught them during a period where it wasn't as big as it once was so that's where my curiosity is is how did you discover the actual National Wrestling Alliance and became the aficionado or I don't want to say unofficial spokesman but for the longest time it seemed like you were the main guy that was putting their information out there when nobody else would even cover it <laughs> if they could if they could find it well uh, first of all thank you for that question that's uh, it's something that uh, you know I don't think I've ever told the full story but I'm sure uh, long-time listeners have heard bits and pieces, so we'll put it all out there right now. And um, it was shortly around the advent of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Yeah, this guy, Dan the Beast Severin, who at the time myself was a bit of a high school wrestler, and I thought that maybe one day I might be a pro wrestler, which, uh, no, that didn't happen. But at um, I was very intrigued by this Ultimate Fighting Championship because... Uh, you know, it was mixing martial arts. 
hence the MMA. And what you would get with these fights, I mean, an early MMA, early UFC was more akin to street fighting than it is the sport it is today. Mm-hmm. And so when a guy like Dan, uh, the Beast Severn, showed up, you know, he got in the ring and he wasn't like boxing and he wasn't like kickboxing. He was literally throwing people with Greco-Roman suplexes and power bombs. I saw him power bomb a guy once in the middle of a match and it just blew my mind. You had Dan B. Severn literally just like rolling fools in the octagon and then on one particular night he shows up and he's got an entourage holding belts. It's got the UFC 5 championship, the, the super fight championship and then what did I see? The 10 pounds of gold. A title that to me was synonymous with wrestling in the 80s. Now, I'm a kid that grew up watching any wrestling I could. Uh, Being on the West Coast, WWE was more prevalent, but the NWA was on TBS. So we'd watch the NWA when it was available. And I grew up watching Sting and the Horsemen, Flair specifically, uh, the Road Warriors. Um, My parents even bought my brother and I those AWA Remco figures. Wow. And even like, and the odd thing about the AWA Remco figures is that their belt was more um, in line with the 10 pounds of gold than it was with the AWA championship. So I had this affinity for this title belt without even really understanding why. And then the more I saw this title belt, the more I just wanted to uh, get more invested. Like that 10 pounds of gold was always the sexier looking belt compared to Hulk Hogan's world title, that green belt with the, looked like it was made at a trophy store. Yeah. So when I see Dan Severin walk into the octagon, strolling in, you know, with three title belts and one of them being the 10 pounds of gold, it grabbed my attention. Because at that, up until that moment, like many other people, I just thought WCW was the NWA. I just thought it was a natural progression of the NWA uh, buying uh, WCW just becoming the NWA, just a, a brand change. I didn't know there were separate entities involved. Like TNA going into Impact for modern AP. Right, 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 exactly. So then I now I'm now my interest is peaked, and the internet is in its infancy. I can understand that because I remember watching um, when Dan Sever came out on Raw. And Jim Cornette was holding up all his UFC titles, so right. I can I can get that image that you that you would have. And and well, and then like that would happen slowly, slower later in this in the story. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I saw uh, Severn with that belt, and I just was enamored. And you know, again, the internet was in its infancy. Um, most people back then didn't even have like the real internet. We were using AOL. So you'd go to AOL Grandstands, which was like a forum. Um, you would go to like the WWF uh, page on AOL. So yeah. like there was a lot of stuff we would do to try to find this stuff out back then. Um, and it wasn't readily available. So long story short, I'm trying to find out more about Dan Servan as champion. Of course, um, like I said, there wasn't a lot out there. Then, fast forward a couple years, you get Dan Severin appearing on Raw uh, with that title as part of this NWA invasion angle. And I know a lot of people thought it was hokey. I thought it was fun. We've talked about it on this podcast before, that it was it was kind of corny, cornettish. Um, 
But it was also like it was kind of like what Cornette was saying at the time wasn't far from the truth. I mean, the WWE was kind of becoming garbage, and uh, you know you had WCW who was getting hot with the whole NWO, but WCW kept trying to tie their claims to still the NWA title and the history and the lineage of the 10 pounds of gold, which that's just not true. It, that wasn't that wasn't the case. So when the WWE brought in the NWA, they were kind of like saying, hey, you know, na 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 nah, your claims to that 10 pounds of gold are false, because here it is. Now, we never got any title defenses on, on WWE programming, but, like, looking back now, it's kind of interesting to see how Dan Servan was literally working indies every other weekend in between his dates for the WWE. He was flying to Japan and then coming back and wrestling, you know, on Raw. So it was it was kind of cool, um, and that's what kind of piqued my interest. Uh, but like I said, back then, the, the Internet was in its infancy, and you didn't really get a lot of um, real hard facts. And fast forward a few more years, and uh, my local independent wrestling promotion that was connected to the WWE was UPW. UPW was the home of uh, Frankie Kazarian, Christopher Daniels, um, yeah, John Cena, of course, Samoa Joe, um, a lot of great talent from UPW went on to go in the WWE, guys like Horseshoe, Luther Reigns, uh, John Heidenreich, who would end up teaming with Animals, LOD 2000. Um, and real quick, John, John Ian, RIP, bro. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Sakota, RIP. There's a lot of those who start talking about it. Um, and then sure enough, UPW started a relationship with Zero One. Zero One had a relationship with the NWA through Steve Carino, who was the world champion. Then Hashimoto won the belt. And now, now I'm in. Now the internet is at a point where you can research stuff. And I learned about Steve Carino because I knew of him from ECW. And he was out there making the world title seem relevant again. And he's out there wrestling in Japan against Shinya Hashimoto, who uh, wasn't far removed from his IWGP championship ring. So it felt very, very important. And then when Hashimoto won the belt here in the United States, you know, he came to Southern California with that title. And he literally came to UPW with that belt. Yeah, there's Frankenstein's. And uh, he came there with that belt and started throwing down challenges. And uh, like Samoa Joe was there. Oh, God, what was his name? Tom. Oh, Tom. I can't think of his name right now. Anyways, uh, a couple people were there to challenge for the NWA World title. Of course, uh, Severin would end up winning that title back before the transition to Impact. So knowing uh, that Steve Carino run in early 2000s, combined with the fact that Hashimoto had the belts and UPW, and these were all promotions that I was following and, and was paying attention to, instantly had a fan in me. So the long story short, uh, them making Dan Severin the NWA World's Champion got J-Cal to start following the National Wrestling Alliance. And it was when you started to see the hit in person with UPW, that's what like hooked you? Yeah, well I mean, so like that belt, Again, that, that belt literally is the biggest star of the NWA. Anyone who wants to change that title belt, I think, just doesn't get wrestling, doesn't get branding. 
and uh, yeah, just seeing that belt, and, and it wasn't just in UPW, but it was also like watching, um, not watching, but reading, looking at photos with Steve Carino as champion, uh, with the title being represented in Japan under uh, Zero One, and following that dynamic of Zero One becoming a part of the NWA, uh, they even had um, they even had NWA International Tag Team titles that were established for Zero One that UPW guys were wrestling for. The UPW guys, along with Zero One, were wrestling for an international NWA Junior Heavyweight Championship. And I mean, those were guys like Rocky Romero, Ricky Reyes, uh, TJ Perkins, uh, Brian Kendrick, who actually ended up winning the title. Um, it was just, you know, a weird time, a wild time. And some of these guys who had watched on the Indies were now going to Japan and competing for NWA titles. All that just was so cool to me that I I, I, I bought in. I was hooked. And again, that was early 2000, 2001, 2000. But it was definitely the live experience that helped a lot. Yeah. Seeing that relationship right in front of your eyes. Yeah. Right there in, down, I don't know, first, second, third row, wherever you were. Seeing that, and especially on a, reg a regular occasion. Well, you, you've been to the Galaxy Theater. It, it wasn't, uh, back then, it wasn't uh, like a regular thing. It, it was a one-time deal, but the fact that there was so much potential, it was unrealized because everything happened with impact and everything else, but there just felt like there was so much potential for something really big to happen. And I was in there hoping that Samoa Joe would get a crack at it because uh, Samoa Joe versus Hashimoto would have been a dream bout for even... You know, today's standards. Yeah, I mean... It would have been awesome today, but it would have been amazing back then too. Um, but yeah, that's so that's uh, that's kind of my story about how I became a fan of the NWA. Let me ask you now the same question: How did you become a fan of the NWA? <laughs> You're laughing now because I already gave you a preview. Okay, um, growing up, especially out here on the West Coast, all I knew was WWF. That's all I knew. Saturday, Sunday. Afternoon, 12 o'clock, Fox 11. Yep. I, right at, after that came Batman. So, that's all I knew. Um, you never turned to Channel 13 to watch the Glow Girls afterwards? No, I don't. That, I, I probably minute blacked that out. <laughs> and I got the neuralizer now to do it. Yep. <laughs> and, um. So anyways, that's all I knew was WWF, WWF ever since um, 1988, and like I said, I think the first show I remember watching was um, the main event, Hogan and Andre. Um, so, big wrestling fanatic, especially, you know, my dad and my my late Uncle Daryl, who I'm named after. Um, big wrestling fans. Um, my Uncle Daryl got the pay-per-views like once a year. Um, my dad got me WWF Magazine subscriptions and all that. Um, and especially back in the day, I mean, kids these days, go watch uh, Captain Marvel. And you see her fall through a blockbuster video. That's where we were at every weekend. That, that was our Netflix. Yeah. So every weekend... I would, I'd be at the the Blockbuster and thankfully it was within walking distance so if I wasn't written a game I was written a wrestling tape however I 
always got the WWF tapes, but I remember seeing some tapes in that section with some wrestlers that I don't know, wasn't familiar with, but it was in the wrestling section, but it said NWA. Keep in mind that the only NWA I'm familiar with at this time was the rap group that my dad did not want me listening to because he did not approve the lyrics for my age. So I knew better than I'm not touching that because I don't want to get in trouble. Can, can I give you a quick story real quick not to interrupt? But is, this interrupt. The, is this the Marquez story? No, 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 no. Okay. I used to, my brother, who was six years older than me, was a huge NWA fan. So by proxy, I was a huge NWA fan. So here you had little white white boy J Cow walking in the safe neighborhoods of Lakewood rapping about uh, we want easy. You know, dope man, dope man. And yeah, I did know the lyrics. I still know most of them too, so uh, core memory, but go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> hey, I have an I have an older half sister, same same deal. <laughs> um so I never touched them. And then um, one Christmas my Again, my half-sister, she got me some trading cards, which, but they were WCW trading cards. Oh, I think I know the ones. Were they, were they the black ones with the yellow stars around them? Uh, that, yeah, there was that, and it was also the ones that came out, like, the year after, where they were, like, they tried to look, like, 90s with, like, the, the, um, well, it's hard to describe, but look it up on the internet you can find it but yeah it was WCW trading cards I didn't know what WCW was because keep in mind we didn't have cable so um, I was like okay you know but I went ahead and just put them in but um, some of the faces on there I did recognize from them being in WWF Either formerly there or currently there. We're talking early 90s. Like, yeah. Um, so like Jumpyard Dog. I don't remember specifically. Okay. But I did remember seeing these guys. Like, at one point or another. I'm like, okay. Um, and then, fast forward. Uh, when we finally got cable. One day, one Saturday afternoon. I'm flipping through channels. And I catch this wrestling. And I've, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember the specific clip was from the Great American Bash 91. I found that out later, where it was Luger and Wyndham in the cage, and the clip was Harley Race and Mr. Hughes walking out, throwing the chair in, or not, he didn't throw the chair, that was Dylan, um, walking walk to the ring and talking to Luger, and then Luger like hit the pile driver and won the championship. So I caught... My first glimpse of what was the NWA, but not WCW, was right after Flair left. Right. So that's when I caught that. But again, I, I'm young and I don't know a damn thing about time zones. So when they're saying 6:05, I tune into that channel. <laughs> yeah. 6:05 Pacific time, and I'm getting like a Braves game or something, and I'm like, "Where's the wrestling?" And it wasn't until, um my dad started getting the newspaper delivered that it that the Sundays had their own TV guide they had their own TV book 
And looking through there, I'm like, okay, so the wrestling starts at three. And so then I started watching um, WCW, but that was like later 91. I, if I ever caught WCW, it was flipping through the channels. I remember one time I'm at my uncle's house and I'm flipping through channels. And I caught like um, the end of a Clash of Champions. I don't remember which one. Anyways, fast forward. So I still only know WWF and WCW. It wasn't until 92 where they had that Clash of Champions with the NWA Tag Title Tournament. Oh, that, that was a good one. When they had that, that's when I discovered the National Wrestling Alliance. Did you know that Benoit was in that tournament? Oh, dude, that Benoit and Wellington, uh, Liger, and Pillman. Which was an odd pairing. Well, a, you know, former opponents, now partners, but yeah. it that was one of those rare matches where you you made a you made a first impression and you know hey this was before everything happened with him but I was like whoa who is this Benoit guy yeah you know I want to I want to see more of him which you know he eventually did years later sporadically but yeah that guy impressed me though um, the first night that that was the one thing outside of um, the Steiners and Williams and Gordy that I I took away from that show. There was a there was sorry to interrupt again, but uh, in ninety in uh, ninety what was it ninety four ninety five ninety four when they were going to crown the new NWA World Champion, uh, you know, um, Dennis Corluzzo wasn't a big fan of Shane Douglas. In fact, he had buried Shane Douglas on a fairly often regular basis. And that's part of the reason why everything happened with ECW and the NWA. But the guy that uh, Corluzzo wanted to be world champion was Benoit. And had he had his way, Benoit would have won the world title. And probably we wouldn't have had that moment of the title being thrown down because at that moment, uh, you know, it was still indies where, you know, Shane Douglas had a lot to benefit from him tossing down the NWA world title where uh, you know, somebody like Ben Wall wouldn't have had the same reaction and wouldn't have meant the same, so he probably wouldn't have done it. So, just a little interesting uh, what if right there. So, that was my introduction to the National Wrestling Alliance, and then later on, I still didn't get it. So, later on, then I see the clips of the which I later found out was the G1 with um, Chono winning the NWA title and I recognized that belt because I remember Ric Flair had it and Ric Flair had that belt on my trading cards and now I see it here so that and I remember Flair taking it to the WWF so that sparked my curiosity like wait a minute I reckon okay what What's the deal here with the story here? And again, I only had WWF Magazine. I didn't buy the Pro Wrestling Illustrated or the Aftermax or nothing like that. I was strictly WWF. So seeing that and knowing it's the National Wrestling Alliance and not the guys with attitude, 
I finally, um, one weekend, um, got a different VHS tape, which was Wrestle War 90 Wild Thing, because I recognized Flair on the cover and Luger on the cover. So I got that, and that's where I'm seeing, you know, which unfortunately that tapes were edited to back then. Big time. Yeah, so I was seeing some familiar names. I'm like, okay, cool. And then that's when I started renting more of the NWA tapes, which that's where I saw um, the war games from the Bash in 87. That's where I fell in love with 1989 uh, NWA. Uh, based off what I saw at the Great American Bash, what I saw at Halloween Havoc, Starcade '89 is still my favorite Starcade to this day. And you know, I I liked it, but again, I wasn't. This is '94, '95-ish, um, where I didn't. I only knew the NWA from its association from WCW Modern Day. When that broke off. You know, I didn't, I was you know, I didn't follow it, know anything about it. You know, I just thought like, okay, they just disappeared or whatever it was. I still did not understand the dual association. Yeah. And, which is funny considering how today WWF, there's two world champions. Yeah. But I couldn't get it back then when WCW, there's two world champions. So anyways... Um, fast forward, I see the NWA again on Raw, but still, I didn't get what was going on outside of, oh, this is the real NWA, this is, you know, like the WCW slap that you talked about earlier. Yeah. And then when that went away again, I didn't follow until I see it again with... TNA and the run that they had there which then I was a lot more knowledgeable you know internet and everything sure so then I was more knowledgeable but once that broke off again I didn't follow and till a mutual friend of me and Marquez invited me to the first taping at the Galaxy Theater for the relaunched Hollywood because I didn't go to the previous ones because I again I didn't know anything about the independence back then well that was like that was one of the bigger shows too like uh, the other stuff before yeah it was important but like this was like this is what really kicked off uh, championship wrestling from Hollywood and what really last I mean like the other two tapings uh, you know after about seven episodes they were done you know we're still talking about Hollywood today Still active today. Still active, yeah. So, um, and then yeah, Adam Pierce as the champion. He he really caught my attention, you know, and because he was different than what I was seeing on TV, you know. Uh, An old Eric Bischoff quote: "Don't be try to be better than or worse than. Be different than." Yeah. And Adam. As a champion, hooked me. Coca-Bana, again, I didn't follow the indies. I didn't know anything about Ring of Honor before the they started getting their weekly show on um, Sinclair. So I didn't know much about Colt, but I liked what I saw. 
So you never saw them on HD Network, the Ring of Honor show on HD? No, because that's that was like what um, you had a like third, third. I don't want to say third string, but it wasn't your basic cable plan. Gotcha. You had to upgrade your cable plan to get that gotcha, channel, gotcha. and there was nothing worth upgrading for me to, you know, to get that plan. Oh yeah, that makes sense. So no, and um, it was through that. Hey, a weekly show, a monthly show. Me and the guys can get together and, and go watch live wrestling right in front of us. That really doesn't cost much of anything. If it, you know, um, we should bring sure, Chuck on yeah. here one of these days to talk about his ass whooping he got from Colt Cabana <laughs> pre NWA World Champion. Uh, Dave's got that footage somewhere locked in a vault. <laughs> I'm sure he can't show it. <laughs> We had a friend, uh, we still have a friend, He's not, he hasn't gone anywhere, um, his name's Chuck, Chuck if you're listening, we love you buddy, uh, Chuck really liked to play up to Adam Pierce because he was a, a new fan of, of what Dave was doing. Um, Actually, I gotta cut you off there, what happens is, is that Chuck gets easily caught up in stuff. Sure. He gets easily caught up, and he doesn't know any better, so <laughs> when you get up a bunch of rebellious people booing Coke Cabana and because they want to be, you know, they want to try to take over the show or whatnot and Chuck doesn't know any better and he gets in on it and then Colt gets upset, which you never hear of. Colt gets upset and that's when he challenges somebody and again he doesn't know any better so he goes out and gets in the ring and then he gets slapped and beat up or not first in line <laughs> and <laughs> and you know what happens next don't ever get in the ring so but anyways uh through championship wrestling through hollywood that was how you know i became a regular follower at that time of the NWA. Unfortunately, when everything happened and the association was lost, again, and the end of the seven levels of hate, I really didn't follow the National Wrestling Alliance more than I stuck with my allegiance to Dave and him trying to set up the United Wrestling. So, um, really the only NWA I kept up with was whenever me and you had a conversation and you would update me on this or that or this or that or I would hear something. Yeah. You know, um, the past, that up until um, the whole um, Billy Corgan era that we're in now, that's pretty much my story of how I discovered it. But I avoided it for the longest time because <laughs> I thought it was the rap group <laughs> or it was associated with the rap group that at my age, I was not, I wasn't going to take the chance of getting in trouble or having anything happen to me, you know. You just weren't permitted to Yeah, I was not to. permitted to listen to it on my own, and if I brought home a tape that says NWA, you know, then my dad, who, you know, he, he only knows WWF, so he's going to be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Because at that time, that was the NWA. And uh, to quickly wrap this up, 
what reminded me of this story was a Facebook post that Dave put where he talked about he like drove past Ice Cube somewhere or something and he mentioned like oh well he tried to sue us over the NWA name but he lost <laughs> because their National Wrestling Alliance was in existence long before Eazy-E came along so and just hearing that story is like oh god okay so it wasn't just me well you know and the funny thing about that think, think about this right because in the society today it's very litigious there's lawsuits over spilled coffee you know mm -hmm. and so much stuff happens and back then you know Jim Crockett promotions uh, Don Owens uh, the the uh, sportatorium you know the, the Von Erics you know all these connections to the NWA and not one person had a problem with the rap group using those three initials <laughs> if if they did we never heard about it but on the flip side to that uh, Ice Cube, when the NWA has a resurgence, Ice Cube wants to sue the brand because he feels like it's knocking them off. That brand's been around since 1948. Like, come on, man. <laughs> well, it's funny how these things happen. I mean, there's a there's um, a tag team called Public Enemy who are, you know, basically the white boy hip-hop crew. And then there's the rap group Public Enemy... And I've never heard of anything crossing between those two. No. And they existed in the same universe. It's funny how these things happen. Well, and, and I mean, this is a topic for another discussion, and I'm sure, uh, you know, I'm not the guy to have it, but, you know, a lot of the hip-hop community was influenced by the swag and bravado of the nature boy, Ric Flair. And he gets a pass from a lot of these guys because of who he is and what he did. And, like... He was, he's even been in rap videos, right? Yeah, I mean, gee, I mean, it's too many to name, but yeah, it's, especially, <laughs> you know, there's a, you know, that old phrase where you're more famous when you're dead than when you're alive. It was when Ric Flair's wrestling career finally died that he became more famous and more of a crossover celebrity, especially because he was living the lifestyle that these rappers wanna, were rapping about. Like I, and he was he was living that that lifestyle. I heard Snoop Dogg once say, like, we all wanted to be Ric Flair. The limousine driving, kiss stealing, son of a gun. Yeah. And like I don't have it memorized, but I know Snoop Dogg at in this interview, I don't remember where it was with, but he had said like put over Flair big time. Like he's who we all wanted to grow up to be with the Rolex watches and the five hundred dollar shoes and the you know, Tony Schiavone, this sport coat costs more than you make in a year, buddy. Yeah, I mean that's that's basically it. Flair was iced out before the word ice was ice or bling bling was a thing. He was he was doing it. That I mean that's that's how it is. I mean Flair, yeah. Flair Flair was the Flair was the model. Speaking of Flair, before we go to our first commercial break, speaking of Flair, do you think he's gonna get canceled? Like I know they're trying. The, the, the online community is trying to cancel Ric Flair, but I still see him pop up in these car shield commercials, and I don't see him going away. Uh, well, they put a pause on the car shield commercials, um, but, you know, I mean, it's going to be, I mean, that's another, like I said, story in itself, but just sticking to Rick, no, I don't think Rick's going to be canceled. I mean, he, it's fresh. It's a fresh rule. Yeah. Okay, I mean, 
it's one of those things where it's like, okay, it just happened. Everybody, you know, for PR, you know, PR um, stuff, they have to keep their distance so they don't get the dirt on them right, right now for that dark side of the ring. But I think it's something that's just eventually it's going to blow over. And it's going to be, especially with the way the internet is these days and everything, people get mad about everything. Are we supposed to? Are we still supposed to be mad that Selena Vega didn't wrestle on the 9-11 SmackDown? Are we still supposed to be mad about that? Yeah. No, everybody moved on after a week. And so did she. And hell, right now she's getting the biggest push of her career. Yeah, so, true. I mean, but there's I, just a lot of there's just a lot of people jumping on the bandwagon. A lot of people quick to do cancel culture and whatnot. But no, I don't think, I don't think Rick's going to be canceled. Rick, at this stage, I don't want to say he's Teflon. But he's going to lay low right now until, you know, because it's still a fresh wound. And over time, he'll be back like nothing happened. I mean, come on. Hulk Hogan said the N-word on tape. And he took his lickings. Had to, you know, do a couple of things. Some people still won't forgive him. That's it. That's their right. But he's back in the fold. I know Tommy Dreamer lost his job at Impact over what was said on that dark side of the ring. Yeah, it it was definitely insensitive for how it was put together because, again, we have not seen the raw footage, the raw interview from start to finish yeah. with no cuts, right. no dramatic music added to the background or it cut to make the certain way, story a certain way because certain talents have spoke out about their interviews where it's like the clip that they used was not in reference to what was said or the subject at hand or that specific thing that was talked about you know but that's that's journalism yeah so you know yeah but it, it came off very bad it came off very insensitive so again dreamer right now he has to you know take his lickings or whatnot but he's still I still saw Tommy Dreamer on a clip wrestling over the weekend, so he's still gonna get his bookings. Yeah, he's still gonna, you know, be able to make his career. It's just it's not gonna be with, you know, a corporate company or nationally, you know, television company like Impact. But Dreamer, no, it'll blow over for Dreamer too. You know, and the wild thing about that is, is like Tommy Dreamer didn't do anything on the plane. Like he was commenting on it. And that's what that's what cost him his job. Um, and then this other thing about that too is um, who would even consider being on the dark side of the ring? I know I have friends who were requested to be on the show and declined because of they didn't want their words twisted. And this was even before this was even before uh, the Tommy Dreamer and Ric Flair comments and all that. So it's like it's it's wild to me like. I don't know how that show has a season three or season four or whatever, because at some point, like it's going to be a toxic thing to be on. You can't trust, you know, you can't trust what you say is going to be treated with uh, a validity and who knows what kind of editing is going on behind the scenes. Well, also being in the wrestling business for so long, you got to be smart enough to know what to say and how to say it because like I said the the way it came off with Dreamer it came off like just really bad and it just made me go like you know you're being recorded why would you say anything the way you worded it and in the tone that you used 
you gotta be, if you're gonna, you know, you, if you're gonna be, especially as long as he's been, how many interviews he's done. Dreamer has his own freaking podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, he has more than one. He was on Busted Open. I mean, he's he, back, he's back he's there back now. Center, yeah. But, you know, he was on Busted Open where he does interviews and stuff and he sees how these people act. I mean, we can talk about Tony Khan and how he acts and that's another story. But, um, he should have been smarter with the way he chose his words and the way he said it and the tone and the subject and whatnot. That I will fault him for. But it's just, and also there's just some people in the business where it's like, they got nothing to lose. I mean, are you, are we going to cancel if Earl Hepner says something insensitive? Are we going to cancel Earl Hepner? He's out of the business. Yeah. What does he have to lose? Um, Mike Kyoto. Last I checked, Kyoto's out of the business. What does he have to lose? Yeah. I mean, you still have people that can openly talk about things. I mean, are we going to cancel Med- Medusa? <laughs> I mean, for, you know, talking about the mental issues of Bruno Fashan, I mean, no. I'm, well, uh, it, de- it depends. It I, de- it, I want to cancel Medusa for the dumb joke she made at Empower Pay-Per-View where she said... Hey, how about we change the name to the New Women's Alliance? That's enough right there for me to cancel Medusa. You're gone. Throw her throw her in the trash can, damn it. <laughs> Alright, we'll be back. Ooh, MAGA. <laughs> so we just we just introduced ourselves to two former NWA world champions and Dan the Beast Severin and the world's most dangerous man Ken Shamrock and uh, I'm telling you right now Shamrock could still go I do I think he could whip your ass he definitely whip my ass I think he whip your ass too well um, as we were talking off air because we had to wait two hours in line um, he, Shamrock did have a little brief return um, for Impact, uh, just last year, where um, Moose called him out, and that just resulted in him having his little mini run. That resulted in him going in the Impact Hall of Fame with The Rock, um, doing sending in a video to induct him and everything. And another thing that we were talking about in line was how, you know, especially with wrestlers that have, you know, basically gotten up there in age, you know, the bump card, so to speak, to steal one from Adam Pierce, the bump card is full, you know, but how can they still be able to go and, you know, like I was saying, it has to be the right person that suits their style, complements their style and, you know, would give them what they needed to play to their strengths, so to speak. Um, and one example I mentioned very recently was at the um, G1 Finals um, in New Japan, Katsuri Shibata, who has not wrestled in like three to four years, I don't know the exact amount, three to four years because of his match with Okada that, you know, did a lot of damage to his head, and his, that he went out with Zack Sabre Jr. and had the five-minute exhibition match. Which was basically, you know, like a five-minute grappling match. There was no punches to the face or nothing like that. It was just straight rolling, straight grappling, submission style. 
and everything, um, like you would see like in a grappling tournament or um, an amateur wrestling tournament or something like that. It was that type of style between the two men, and it was only five minutes, so you weren't going to get burned out. Or and, blown up. Yeah, so it was, you know, and it was a good showcase, especially, you know, to have that moment to see Shibata in there doing something where you're just seeing him in the ring again and coming back after everything he's been through. And, you know, you saw that briefly with Shamrock and Impact where they didn't put him in the ring with guys that it would be a styles clash. He wasn't in there with the stereotypical X Division guy that was going to be doing, you know, the, all the high flying, all the flips and, you know, high fast speed. He, they put him in there with people and in situations that would compliment him. Like if, like they had him in there with Sammy Callahan. You know, um, once one segment of that, especially during the pandemic era, was um, cinematic. Um, and there was a, you know, they were in the ring and whatnot. But Sammy Callahan is not somebody that's going to be doing a bunch of off the wall stuff that takes Shamrock out of his element. He's going to be in the ring. They're going to wrestle. They're going to brawl. They're going to everything that Shamrock can, can, you know, can keep control of. So to speak, that was just one example. And just like Moose is a big, is an athletic big man that, you know, I don't want to compare it to Vader, you know, but similar backgrounds with, you know, Moose being the football player and all that. And Moose has athletic ability, just not the weight that Vader had, but definitely the same type of stereotype. It's funny you bring up Vader because I just, I tweeted it the other day and I think you saw it too. Yeah, I responded to it. And, and, uh could Vader get over in today's climate? And people thought that I was shitting on Vader, which is couldn't be further from the truth because I'm a huge Vader fan. I'm a huge fan of that style of wrestling. Um, but, you know, it, we are in a softer world today than we were 20 years ago when Vader was going, bouncing back and forth between Japan, Germany, and the United States, holding the, you know, the Catch Wrestling Alliance World title, the, the WCW World title, or the IWGP title, so, um, sorry, I, I didn't mean to derail you there, but just, you said Vader, and I had to go off my tangent there, I, I think Vader's great, I'd wish there was another Vader, a modern day Vader, uh, we just don't have anyone like that right now. We have a bunch of possibilities, a bunch of guys with that potential, Haro. it's just, it's just, it's not, like I said, and I responded to you, yeah, Vader will get over today, but he will not be booked that strong. He will not be booked in the way that Vader was, where he was just a dominant figure. I don't see anybody in wrestling, well, especially in the States, that's going to get booked to come in like how Vader did with Anoki, where Vader came in and just squashed Anoki. What about Walter in, in uh, WWE NXT? He might be the closest thing. Well, NXT UK, you know, I guess you can point that out. But again, that's so under the radar. Yeah. Um, but all I t all it takes for me to see is Walter's one appearance on the WWE main roster at Survivor Series, and he was the first guy gone in five minutes. That just popped any any hope, dreams aspirations of him on that main roster. Him and the um, technically it's NXT 3.0 but who's counting? 
the new NXT, I don't see a place for him with just the way that they have things are right now, which is another story in itself, but I'm not going off on that rant. <laughs> and the, the Triple H NXT, he definitely, you know, I think would have been the closest person to get there, but he pretty much made it clear he wasn't interested in moving down to the States full-time. Yeah. So they made him the anchor of that UK brand, which, again, is so under the radar. Well, let's get back to what you were saying, though. Uh, and I'm sorry, that's my fault. I derailed the combo there. But let's get back to uh, how Shamrock was handled in his last run at Impact, where they were you were, you were talking about how they were pacing opponents that uh, played up to Shamrock's abilities. Yeah, like him and... I've said it numerous times on Twitter, but I don't have the big following, which I kind of like, so I can just say what I want in peace. Um, Eddie Edwards in Impact is the modern-day Bret Hart. He's the guy that can work with anybody. He's the guy, especially when working with bigger guys, gives them their best match possible that they can have. And, you know, just the heart and soul of the company. He's the one go-to guy you can always depend on for years now and they had a little thing with him and Eddie Edwards once um, he joined forces with Callahan and you know Eddie was able to work work with him and Impact did right for him if that was his final run so to speak Impact did right by him Impact gave him the series ascend I almost want to compare it to Kurt Angle's TNA send-off, where he had the series of matches, and they were all quality against quality opponents. Not his WWE one, which, again, I'm not going to go off on that brand, but his TNA one. They matched him up with the right people, with the right styles, that can give him the best match possible, and make it look like time hasn't passed. He looks like Al Bundy on fucking steroids. <laughs> but he could still come off and kick your ass and what, what did you say about the uh, chief wagon he was driving <laughs> I don't want him to listen to this he ain't listening to this <laughs> I, you are saying so much shit about it well dude he, he drove up in a white chief wagon that had that was obviously like okay it needs to somebody run that through the car wash That's, hey it is what it is. He, ro- he rolled up in a white jeep wagon that was all dirty, had bird poop all over the damn window and everything. And it's like, okay, did somebody it, take it to the car wash. When he pulled up, didn't it kind of feel like it was OJ and the Bronco all over again? <laughs> like, he, he was in the car. He's like, you know who this is. Uh, I just, uh, it, it was a weird moment. It was very surreal as he pulled up and parked right in front of the, the event. We saw... Uh, he parked in, he parked in a red zone. That's all. I'm saw, like... I dare somebody to tell his shit. Dan Severn literally walked here from Coldwater, Michigan. <laughs> and you got Shamrock driving right to the front door. <laughs> they just, uh, both of them were sweethearts. Nice guys. We are just teasing. They were both really cool. Um, yeah, but, for, for a deadly killer, he has such a, a genuine smile, Dan Severn. I was like, aw. I mean, I saw that guy just brutalize people in the octagon. And then to have him, you know, he's like, hey, put your arm around me. I was like, okay, man. It's like, is this a trick? <laughs> it's 
like, is it going to turn this into a cross-faced chicken wing? Hey, didn't someone put you in a cross-faced chicken wing once? Yes, Bob Backlund did it. Backlund did it. Didn't. Did he scream and foam at the mouth while he did it? I don't know because I wasn't expecting it. I just asked him if he's ever been able to get it on somebody as tall as me because I'm like, I'm 6'4". And he's like, I'm not sure. And I'm like, okay. And I thought the conversation was over. I got my picture, walked away, and then all of a sudden he grabs me from behind and puts it on me. Did you get a picture of the after, like of you in the hold or no? No, because I wasn't expecting See, that it. that would have been the best thing, man. I wasn't expecting I didn't ask him to put me in it. I just asked if he ever has, because I don't ever recall him seeing him put diesel or anybody in it like that. So I was just asking. I mean, you I was doing a tech, I was doing a conversational technique, and instead he showed, he freaking scared the living daylights out of me twice. So what I'm going to tell you right now is you did ask him to put it on, not with saying, Mr. Backman, please make me tap out. But you said, hey, you ever put it on a dude this big? And he's like, challenge accepted. <laughs> and when you're crazy and old, man, like, those are fight wars. <laughs> you're lucky you, you walked out with your arm intact, man. And that's yeah, I don't know if, I don't, to this day, I Bob Backlund, I don't know if that's real or Memorex. And I don't want to know. And, and that's the most we'll ever put over Bob Backlund on this podcast. Yeah. I was like, wait for it. running the WWE. Yeah. Taking the belt off of Bret Hart. What the fuck is that? Wait for him. Yeah, I'm waiting for him and Terry Funk to crack first. Terry Funk? I've, I heard someone doing a, a, an impression of Terry Funk, and it was like, I haven't talked to Terry Funk enough to know if that's really what he sounds like, but it was exactly what uh, Beyond the Mat sounded like. So the more the guy said, you know, Terry, or uh, whoever he said the name, anyways. I'm getting you derailed again. It's been a long morning. Yeah, well, we only got five minutes till we eat, so what's on your mind? <laughs> well, uh, get me on the way back. My mind is, uh, like, carne asada and chorizo um, and abondigas. But uh, as far as wrestling goes, um, I think that it's just really cool experience. Like, I don't know how many of the listeners on this podcast actually get to go to meet and greets. This is my second meet and greet that I... Uh, Fortunately enough, got to do with you, Daryl. Um, the last meet and greet you and I did together was with Raven, and it's always fun because uh, Daryl has competed in the. Um, I, I don't want to get it wrong because I don't want to say MAGA. <laughs> people think you're um, making America great again. It's a the grappling is North American grappling association. It's it's NAGA, and you got to be careful about that too because if you say that wrong. You get canceled on Twitter, but um. <laughs> and funny enough, when um, when I won- when I competed in my first tournament, I actually bought this T-shirt. Um, they-, they thought because all they saw was the Aga, and of course the N and the M look very similar, so they're just like, and it's an American flag on the shirt, so they're like, Aga. I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> like no. Um, and I had a I had to point out like no North American Grappling Association, but I, I, it's cool that when you bring that out because like uh, you know pro wrestling fans don't necessarily know what that is or or do they even care? But I know you bring it out to show show to grapplers wrestlers who actually grappled. Uh, you you showed it off to uh, 
to Kurt Angle in the past. And then when Raven saw that belt, he knew exactly what it was. And you guys were talking MMA, like almost instantly. Yeah. And and uh, in the same, obviously with Severn and Shamrock. Yes, yeah, um, Severn recognized it right away. And you know, of course, you bring that belt out. I mean, those two guys, of course, they're going to know what the history of that and what it means. You got you had a pretty cool conversation with uh, with both of them about that. Yeah, um, def yeah, most definitely. Uh, it's it's funny though because I get more because I you see I've had a lot of replica belts and you know depending on who's there and what titles they've held, I've always you know brought my replica belts out. Now I now I bring them out for my son to hold. Yeah. Because me, it's like no, you got. They, everybody has the belts that they bought. This is the belt I won, so that has more pride to me than anything. So I bring that everywhere, and the conversations I get for it are amazing. When I took it to Double or Nothing, and just the amount of like grapplers and MMA guys that were at the show, you know, or people that like um, Teddy Hart stopped me in the in the hallway because he he knew what it was. Yeah. You know, was really stands out and really, you know, like I said, it's a definitely a conversation starter. Definitely the crossover has definitely helped me, you know, discover there's been an influence on me, so to speak. What just, you know, who to watch for in wrestling, what different types of styles I now recognize that I never appreciated before. And definitely makes me look at pro wrestling different, where I'll see something that I can try to use on the mat. Um, and most definitely help me appreciate different talents more and people that I wish I would have appreciated when they were out here. Guys like, I wish I would have appreciated Ryan Taylor's style a lot more than I did after I started doing it. Um, guys, like, I wish I would have appreciated Timothy Thatcher a hell of a lot more than... Because I was just looking at the gimmick and not this... Not his actual wrestling style that I should have... I wish I would have appreciated more. Right. Definitely guys like that. And definitely now with, you know, the network... And meet digital media and everything. I definitely look at matches differently now than I did before. And I'm gonna say this on this podcast so that everyone can hear it. The first time you use a Canadian destroyer during one of your MAGA tournaments, I will send you twenty dollars. <laughs> and hey, if you guys are enjoying this podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button. We are also uh, every Tuesday at uh, 2.05 Pacific, 5.05 Eastern. We do the pre-party with me, J-Cow, where we talk about all the NWA action that will be coming on Power immediately following the podcast. And then on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, we do a recap show with me, the modern-day hero, former NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion, Kevin Frazier, along with DKM, and we recap, review retcon reconsider why we watch power every thursday with you we'll be back after this
Thanks again for tuning in to the Alliance Blog Podcast, our presentation of Alliance-Wrestling.com. We genuinely appreciate your support. Would you consider subscribing so you won't miss any future episodes? We'd also like to remind you that we do a live stream every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on YouTube at the Alliance Blog. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, and Twitch at the Alliance Blog. Remember, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, add what is essentially your own. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.